You're listening to a podcast of Spurious Morality. <laughs> I was like, my ears. Yeah, yeah, yeah. My ears. But it's it, now you really do believe that you are listening to a podcast of Spurious Morality. Oh, oh, I do. I'm in the zone. Yeah. Absolutely. <laughs> Welcome to a podcast of Spurious Morality. I'm Johnston, and this week I have uh, a nice big group with me, actually. I've got Connor. Hello. I've got Alex. Let's go. And I've got Sam. Hello. I can't be as enthusiastic as Alex just was, but there we go. Mm. Um, <laughs> yeah. But this is this is your historical episode. This is this it is, is your it is. It's my baby. Moment. It's my baby. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We'll see. I've got my academic hat on. Um, got my your notes. Academic, uh, academic who yeah, history yeah, yeah. hat. Yes, yes, yes. Uh. Fantastic. Um. So, listeners may have gathered from that that this is the historical episode. We're talking about history and Doctor Who, uh, historical stories, the use of history, and uh, sort of history and time as a concept. It's it, it's going to be a big one, and I think it's part one of two as well. I suspect this will go over to a second episode. Um, spoiler warning this week is going to have to be quite broad. It is basically every time Doctor Who has stepped into history. Um, which does cover quite a lot of ground, so consider yourself warned that there could be some quite broad spoilers in this one. Um, so, Sam, you kind of suggested the first question here, uh, which is, um, what's what's everyone's favourite use of history in a story? I'll let you go first and just kind of explain a bit why... Uh, sorry. Explain a bit uh, behind what you mean by that. So yeah, okay. go ahead. Sure, sure, sure. So I guess like what what I was thinking about when I was thinking about this episode was kind of like there are countless stories that are set in the past, right? And a lot of them are very good, and I enjoy them. So, I, but like what I wanted to think about in terms of my favourite for this this episode was not so much what's my favourite story set in the past because that could be any number of like sort of like wacky adventures with aliens but rather what stories actually deal with the past and with history as a concept because there are there are a lot and there have been right from the series like inception um it's kind of you know in the Hartnell era it was one of the two two sort of modes the series operated in um and ever since then it's been a pretty like persistent subgenre um obviously we have this idea of like the pure versus pseudo which i think we'll talk about in a bit but like yeah, it, it's it's a kind of like I I, I am approaching this from a slightly <laughs> slightly uh, like academic angle, I guess. But like history as as a concept and as a theme is really prevalent in a lot of these stories as well, rather than just being like a, a setting that writers jump off from. 
Yeah. Okay, and what would you say your favourite use of history and who is? Okay, so for me, my favourite, like, story that is that is about history is The Kingmaker. Um, it's in Big Finish audio terms, anyway. Uh, because it's it's kind of like, it's it's delving into, like, a his- historical mystery, right? And And it grapples with the kind of stuff that, like so much of the past is actually unknowable and based on kind of like tiny fragments of information you know it's kind of like it's it's in many ways history's like especially that far back is like a puzzle to be solved and it's about what the kingmaker does it takes all those pieces of the puzzle and comes up with an absolutely ridiculous mind-bending like continuity <laughs> destroying uh solution to it and it's also you know incredibly fun and funny um and just yeah it 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 I, I like it's it's got such a wonderful kind of like um like like free interpretation of the past you know cause like you'd think oh it bothers me because it's not historically accurate no it's fun because it's deliberately twisting everything Shakespeare becomes Richard the third and Richard the third becomes Shakespeare right how fun is that and yet the whole timeline stays coherent and like I just think it's it's fantastic like the way it's kind of like messing with the past and yet preserving it and, and all this stuff and yeah just really gets me and it's it's a great example of uh i suppose it's sending up the concept of historical doctor who isn't it it's it's nev fountain doing what nev fountain does so well which is just taking something that we're kind of used to and just going now nah, let's do a funny version let's let's send it yeah. up a bit yeah yeah i mean the kingmaker's excellent it's an awful lot of fun um, I'm going to pass the same question over to Connor then. Favourite use of history in Doctor Who? Um, it's one I talked about a little bit before in one of, in one of our previous episodes, but um, it's actually Scorched Earth, which is a Chris, Chris Chapman story. And I love that so much just because I love it so much for the, for the way it uses flip and constants. Um, and I it, it it's the story i think that uses the dynamic between them the best and it's sort of it doesn't it's it's less so about a specific historical event because it does eventually go on to become about it's set post it's just it's set just after liberation in france after the second world war um and it does eventually turn into a bit of an you know alien you know threat sort of story um but it takes a point from history about um collaborators or, or so-called collaborators um, after the war and how they were treated um, and how, how you know, people maybe thought they were going to get revenge or take out frustrations on them. Um, and it's how Constance reacts to that versus how Flip reacts to that. Um, and they have two very different perspectives because for Constance, it's slightly in her future. And for Flip, it's a long time in her past and she sort of has the benefit of hindsight and a detachment from the events that led up to it. Um, and I can't think of another companion team where you could do a story like that. Um, um, it's maybe one that we can talk about a little bit later on or maybe a, another time, you know, more fully. But that's my favourite one just because of how it taps into the, into the dynamic between those two companions. And it absolutely does it. It does a fantastic job of kind of really playing up to that companion dynamic. And yeah, I agree. Sort of having companions from different different points in history, um, it really does sort of create an opportunity. And Chris Chapman does a good job of of sort of seizing that. 
And of course, we've mentioned Chris Chapman again, which means we can sort of tweet him in this and hopefully he'll retweet us as he very kindly did last time. So, (laughs) excellent. Just kind of touching on that, I think like, and this is maybe something we'll get into a little bit later, but like, I think the best, a lot of the stories that I was listening to to prepare for this, the ones that I enjoyed the best were the ones that did uh, use the the historical setting as a way to explore the dynamics between the characters. Um, You know, sort of Mm. like, you can't change history is a very common sort of subgenre in Doctor Who, but like, it, it really works in like, especially in the Perry and Aramam stories, it, it showed, that I listened to it, it showed, it showed a really different side to each, each of the characters and kind of like, again, that kind of relationship between the character from the, from the past and a character from the present or the future, um, kind of like relating to the events in a very different way. Absolutely, yeah. Uh, Alex, your favourite use of history in Who? Um, my favorite history play isn't a uh, historical play, so I'm probably gonna get booed off stage for this. But um, it's Omega, actually another Nev, <laughs> another Nev Fountain uh, play. Um, I, it's it's set uh, on board this uh, time space cruise line, uh, Jolly Cronulla Days, um, and the associated horrific like Gallifrey or Omega specifically themed um, tourist trap with historical, like, reenactors running around pretending to be various, um, you know, revivifications of the past. Um, And it's just a very fun way of looking at historical revisionism and why we might want to change the way that we perceive history um, as much as we might want to change, you know, what's been done. Uh, and it, it sort of it it matches all that up with the um, the Greek uh, Orpheus and Eurydice myth. Um, uh, maybe I'm being really pretentious here, but I really like the the central part of that myth is about uh, Orpheus coming to to grips with you know, his wife is dead. He goes down to retrieve her, and he can't retrieve her, and he's doomed never to do that. And um, and I kind of like how it ties into the idea that we could like sort of. Um, one of the characters is obsessed with the past and he's, he wants to change it and he wants to change the way that he perceives it and he perceives himself and he just can't. And he's constantly undermined in these attempts to to do that, um, you know, Greek tragedy style. Um, I don't know. Uh, that's probably my favourite use of history in a, in a, in a big Finnish play. Um, yeah. I, I like that. I think you've got away with that. You've got away with using a, a non-historical story, definitely. Um, yeah, and I agree. It, it kind of it, it uses the concept as history, just, you know, future Doctor Who history uh, very effectively. Um, mine, I'm not going to talk too much about because I think we're going to talk about it in the second part. But um, mine would be the Peterloo Massacre. Um, and I quite like how it sort of focuses on a sort of significant historical event but maybe a slightly lesser known one um and the the sort of the event the massacre itself actually happens in the third episode and very rare for doctor who the characters the main characters stick around for another episode and sort of look at the aftermath and sort of focus on a more small-scale human tragedy um, so there's there's an awful lot going on and the massacre kind of it is very central like I say in that third episode but then it um, 
it sort of forms the background for other little incidents and things that happen and individual character stories. And I really like how we just got to sort of see the aftermath, which, as I've said, we don't a lot of the time. A lot of the time it's, okay, the massacre's happening now, back into the TARDIS, kids. Uh, But we do seem to avoid that. Uh, Let's move on. Uh, So... Sam, you said that your sort of favourite use of history in Who is the Kingmaker, and I think with it being such an excellent story, it's something we should all discuss. Connor, do you want to go? Uh, yeah, it's been, it's been a while since I heard the Kingmaker, but I have done it a couple of times now. I love, <laughs> I love how just bizarre it feels when you're listening to it. Um, I don't think it's it stands out from other other. Um, you know, historical stories because it's not one you're meant to take in any sort of way as an accurate <laughs> presentation of what happened. You like it's it's not a, like you can take the Peterloo massacre you mentioned, you know, and that's a really really meticulous story in how in in how much detail it goes into about about the you know the event it covers about the Peterloo massacre. The Kingmaker's completely different, <laughs> um, and it goes round and you know spoilers for everyone who hasn't heard it. It goes round you know with Shakespeare being hinted at being the master for most of the runtime and then it gets revealed that this mysterious bearded figure who has been chasing the, the characters through history is not the master as gets into it. it's William Shakespeare on on trying he's, he's trying to set up historical events for one of his own plays it's uh, it's brilliant <laughs> I love I really really love it it's only barking um, I I like how it messes around with uh, the way that you're you're meant to do history plays in 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 Doctor Who, uh, and you it's it's such a nerdy construction though because like um, all the threats are historical figures, right? Like 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 a pure historical involves only historical figures sort of running around doing like historically wacky things. They can be doing like ugly ugly wacky things. Um, uh, as long, like, like the Three Musketeers in the Church of the Crown or whatever, as long as they don't, like, you know, start shooting microwave guns at each other. But this breaks that rule by having historical characters invade other historical time periods and then just complain about, like, how, like, annoying this is. Like, when Richard's talking about, like, a bunch of, like, annoying tourists who or, or um, just, like historical vigilantes turning up and like shouting at him for like abusing children it's it's very 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 funny and very weird it's 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 sort of how history people stuck in you don't really think about how people stuck in these history plays see all of this stuff happening around them and it's just i don't know it's very meta not meta um postmodern it is, I really it is like very that. meta yeah um I, I just think I think it's genius. Like the, the so the kind of stuff with with Shakespeare trying to set up events for his own plays really gets to the way that so much of um, kind of like popular but it's, it's getting at like kind of popular perceptions of history, like what you'd call what we in the field uh, would call like pub, pub, <laughs> would call like public history. Um, the kind of like it's the, the the sort of outward facing kind of like popular perceptions that people have based on like the media. And, and the way that, you know, most people's image of Richard III does come, you know, the hunchback villain does come from Shakespeare. And this is about, you know, we meet him in this play and he's absolutely not really like that at all. And it's sort of 
reasonably honorable and dignified and kind of like not a nice guy he's a king but like i want to say like yeah that that was all wasted that was all wasted on me when i heard this like oh really like yeah, you guys in the UK, yeah. you 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 care way more about your monarchs than anyone else in the world does for some reason. Um, <laughs> yeah. and, um, we didn't do many of those uh, specific Shakespeare plays in high school. Um, yeah, we did yeah. Othello and um, Twelfth Night and Romeo and Juliet, but we didn't touch any of the the king plays. Yeah. So when my head. Yeah. Anyway, sorry. Keep going. Well, they're, bas- they're basically all like Tudor propaganda made to appeal to like the monarchs of the mm. time um, because mm. they were they were kind of pat- Shakespeare's patrons and stuff. And so it's it's so interesting that the, the kind of like, yeah, this this kind of like villainous depiction that was done for money and to appease the, cu- the currently sitting like kings and queens um, has like endured to, to the present day. And that's something you see again and again with all sorts of eras. And I think like something doctor who so often does is is sort of it because because it is doctor who's firmly in the realm of kind of like like pop culture mass media for a, a lot of the time it will repeat those sort of like national myths and kind of mm. um sort of like stereotype depictions and often it, it will kind of like riff on them i think like like the Shakespeare code, for instance, kind of like deconstructs a lot of kind of like the, the popular image of Shakespeare um you know, just the fact that like he's got he's got hair and he's a bit like, and he's bi- and he's bi and all of this stuff. So it's, it's like, yeah, it's, uh, I think like Doctor Who often will set off and like just for example, like the Winston Churchill in the TV show is very much like the kind of um, the 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 cuddly grandpa like one World War Two kind of guy. He's like he's like the the image of Churchill rather than being Churchill the man. And things like that. And and that's something Doctor Who does again and again. Yeah. And so you liked how this was playing with that and stuff. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, 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 for sure. So um, because obviously the Kingmaker is so, um, should we say canon shattering? I'm using the C word, canon shattering. Yes. Um, the, <laughs> the Shakespeare that we meet in the Shakespeare Code and Big Finish have done a Shakespeare one recently as well, haven't they? Um, which one is it? Um, it's the Kingmaker is canon. Above, above all else, it must be. Um, I'm I'm just so determined. I think if you if you uh, I don't know. It's yeah. Of all of the the sort of contradictions in like who history like that is going to be the hardest to reconcile because Shakespeare turns up again and again because he's a kind of like iconic, just like a, an iconic figure in English history. Um, and yeah, it does. I, it's, it's, yeah, it's very difficult. Um, especially because doesn't, doesn't the doctor travel with like young Shakespeare? I've not heard that one, but that's a, that's a thing, right? Yes. That's time of the Daleks, yeah. isn't it? Yeah. Yeah. I like the explanation they they suggest in uh, that, that Fountain suggests in the Kingmaker that uh, when a particularly like important character dies, the Time Lords just rope in some some poor some poor like newbie Time Lord to regenerate to force regenerate into that historical character, and then they have to live out the entire like rest of that character's life or that that historical personage's life. 
Um, yeah. Yeah. I think that'd I like be, the that'd idea be great that we can explore. Yeah. Different Shakespeare's yeah, yeah. because they're all just one Time Lord who keeps on being bumped off. And, oh. um... <laughs> right. <laughs> yeah, oh, that's good stuff. Yeah. Yeah, it, it definitely sort of, as we've said, definitely plays with that kind of historical concept um, a hell of a lot more than anything else, really. Um, I will nudge us on towards our next sort of topic of conversation now, which is perhaps arguably the most important historically set Doctor Who story ever. Big statement. Uh, but we're talking about the Time Meddler, uh, which is you know, fairly early on in Doctor Who's run, end of the second season. Um, it's the first time we meet a Time Lord that's not the Doctor, even though, you know, they're not referred to as Time Lords there, but, you know, the monk has a TARDIS. What a cliffhanger. Um, but it, it's it's a big turning point for Doctor Who uh, and historically set stories uh, specifically because it's the point where history can be changed now. We, we've gone with history can't be changed, not one jot, and the regulars have always been observers, I mean, in some cases even passive observers of major historical events. But now all of a sudden, um, history can be changed, it can be interfered with, and there's a bloke dressed as a monk that's actively trying to do that. Uh, so I'm going to kind of ask you all for your thoughts on the time meddler. So Sam, you go first. I mean, first off, like, it's great. Um, I, I'm I'm actually like a fairly big like kind of Hartnell fan. Um, maybe not maybe not the 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 man himself, but like the, the that kind of era is uh, I'm really fond of. But like yeah, the Time Meddler just stands out um, because it's it the, the you know the historical like like subgenre I guess has been a thing since the start of the show, right? But it's it's very much playing in a kind of like kind of dry academic textbooky version of history like not fair but because it was meant to be educational right so it's kind of dealing with history in in the way that the the kids of 1964-65 would have been taught it at school right you can see that in stories like uh i don't know the reign of terror which is very much a here are some events that happened uh and otherwise basically nothing happens to the characters of any import because they're just there to witness stuff that stuff that actually happened um and not really participate but like the time of those is is great because it's like it takes that kind of another kind of iconic textbooky moment in history like 1066 and it turns on its head and it's like okay we're gonna do something really different yeah really different and try and like you know what if you could change history um and you've got this kind of like impish figure who's actually like gleefully messing with established events in a way that we've never seen before um yeah it's 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 fantastic i'm i'm a big big fan and uh, what about you connor yeah i really like it um mainly for I, I think i was just i was just putting down some notes for this this morning and i think it's quite scary and i can't i can't decide whether it is this way i, I think it's quite scary in how much it predicts about what is to come for Doctor Who as as a, as a show, you know, as it moves on into the you know you know later on into the, through the sixties, into the seventies, and then on into the eighties, um, because it's the first one as you said that does a story that's set in the past but not explicitly about witnessing those events. It's about changing them. There's a science bit of a science fiction element there thrown in 
uh, about time travelers trying to alter history. Um, and it's I was trying to decide whether it predicts Doctor Who's future or whether it influenced it. And then, because this is the first time he's just said we get a Time Lord villain. That doesn't happen again until the War Games. And it doesn't get picked up as a regular thing until the Master comes along. Um, I can only imagine being, like, I don't know how big Doctor Who fandom would have been by the time the Time Meddler came out. Like, I know people enjoyed it as a, a popular thing, but I don't know that anyone maybe was a religious follower by that point in the same way that we are now or, you know, fans would have become sort of end of the 80s. Um, but can you imagine being a fan of the show and watching it and seeing the part three cliffhanger? And having Stephen and Vicky stumble into another TARDIS and find, you know, out that we're suddenly meeting someone else from the Doctor's home world. You know, even though we don't know who they are or or where, you know, the Doctor and the Monk came from by that point. Um, so yes, it's one I really enjoy. It's it's one of the few sort of Hartnell historicals that I've ever sought out deliberately. Um, I've seen, I, I saw the Aztecs recently and it's, no, 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 well, <laughs> the harsh maybe, but I saw, I, I saw the Aztecs for the first time recently and it's even, it's a very different prospect of the time meddler, um, because it is about, uh, even though it does kind of cover similar ground with the whole changing history thing, um, I think I've mentioned in, in you know before that I'm not the, I wasn't growing up the biggest fan of of historicals. It's something I've changed my opinion on a lot, you know, in more recent years. Um, but that was the Time Meddler was one of the very first that I ever sought out deliberately. Um, so it's it's always one that I've quite enjoyed, and it, it's maybe a cliche to say it now, but I really really want the monk back. <laughs> I really want Time Lord renegades or Time Lord villains who aren't the master. Um, and just to get a wee bit more variety in that regard. Um, so it's quite cool that there's the monk and he's the first. It's, you know, the master is the one everyone knows. But I would love the monk to come back in at some point. I love the absolutely bonkers stuff Big Finish has done with the monk as well. To the point where the character's timeline just doesn't... There's no way to reconcile it. There's no way it works. Um You've got two regenerations that have to be both before and after the time war in a certain order, but can't be. Yeah. All that kind of thing. And it's it's an awful lot of fun. Um, and it, it's kind of like they've just held their hands up and gone, we don't care, it's a fun character. And by nature, that character's own timeline is just ridiculous. So let's go yes. with that. Where did, where did the idea of like the monk as like the cosmic buffoon first turn up because i swear in the time ed like he's like peter butterworth pulls some great faces and they get like a little switcheroo off at him at the end and is it just because he doesn't understand inflation is that is that is that where this <laughs> reputation of... <laughs> it, I, I listened to um dalek's master plan recently and he does even in it seem to be played a bit more um you know as, as comic relief than he did even in the time meddler um, I, I really love the tradition of casting comedians as the monk, and it's something I hope continues mm. for, yeah. for the character's lifetime. Um, mm. That's, you know, yeah, I really, really love that. It's, it's interesting, because in, 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 like, you talk about the monk's like a buffoon, but I swear in when he comes back in, like, the Book of Kells, it's kind of, it's treated as a big, like, shark villain return, and then for the rest of those 
uh, Eighth Doctor Adventures, he's pretty like. Uh, Where's my stress ball? Where's my stress ball? He's kind of. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, I don't remember him being sort of play for laughs. Certainly, the Rufus Hound Monk seems to be get more opportunities. Oh, to sorry, play for laughs, especially in the Missy Missy <laughs> series. Yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. Um, Hound is much, much broader. There's a couple of times they play him darker, um, like um, his first appearance with the Eighth Doctor and um, the the uh, Angels one. Or, or do you yeah, mean, that uh, one. Yeah, Graham Garden one. Right, right, right. Yeah, yeah. Not not the Graham Garden monk. The um, the, yeah. the the yeah, yeah. And and sabotage the Winston Churchill one. Um, I'm guessing no one listened to that one for the uh, historicals. No, 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 I haven't. I, I did it fairly recently, but it's it's it it it, it pays lip service to, to the idea of being a historical, and then just really does its own thing. Hmm. Pretty much. So, um, what are your thoughts on it as a story, Alex? On 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 the time meddler. Yeah, uh, it's been a while since I've seen it, but uh, it's cute. It's it's cute fun until it's uh, it's not. But um, it's um, I like I like Butterworth. I think he just like in my memory he they is that the most overwhelming thing about the story. I like everyone like um uh like futzing around in the um uh, the the church set where he's got his hidden TARDIS, and I love the the moment where they they where he sticks his head in it at the end and the the space is all shrunk. Um, those are sort of the the dominant memories or images i still have in my head of the story that's all i've got unfortunately um i do think it's interesting that we're talking about it being like the first like pseudo historical in the sense that it's a historical um i mean we haven't really defined our terms here but like <clears throat> i'd still i'd argue that the aztecs is the first like story that's like a story that it's primarily about like the sci-fi side of things rather than the um the the teaching kids about history thing because so much that story is about establishing like the rules for doctor who and one of the rules for doctor who is you can't change history if a doctor says so so yeah that's that's my opinion i think it's (laughs) sort of the significance of the time medal then turning around and going yeah those rules can get broken and anyone can break them especially if it's someone that's on equal pegging almost to the doctor Mm. um i mean we were talking about sort of defining the different kinds of historicals i think sam you've done a bit of uh sort of consideration on that and we're going to talk about like the different kinds of stories so yeah Yeah. go ahead I, i guess so this so I guess it's a bit of kind of like old fan wisdom that there are two types of of historical story: the, <laughs> the pure, which dominated in in the black and white eras, um, and then the the pseudo, which is just anything with like aliens or more of like a sci fi focus, I guess. But I think like it's it's kind of doing the the historical story a bit of uh, a disservice. Kind of like as we said, like that a story can be primarily a historical in that it's about history. Uh, whilst also featuring aliens and time travel quite heavily, or even in the case of like Omega, not even <laughs> being set in Earth's <laughs> history. Um, so, and and also to to kind of define the pure historicals as just one one thing, I think is 
is a little bit of a simplification because like even in the Hartnell era you've got stories that tend more towards like fast like the Romans or mm. uh kind of um like tragedy like like obviously most obviously being like the massacre um and things like that so so it's a kind of um yeah it's like it's it's a I think talking about pure I I understand the the appeal of like categorizing things like that but I think it's it's simplifies both both it simplifies the idea of a pure and the idea of a pseudo historical down too much because both of those things can be all sorts of different things actually I'm not really sure it made sense there but like it, it's it's kind of yeah it's reductive yeah 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 for sure for sure yeah I, and I I think I think look look genre is famously the way we used at uni was slippery right but um you have these weird edge cases like the Trojans um is that a historical story even though it features like a giant myth makers the trojans Um, (laughs) right (laughs) don't know what you're on about Um, yeah uh, the myth makers where um where i i don't think the the giant wooden horse was real um and i think there are a few other like random historical liberties taken in in pursuit of the mythology um and like is that is that a pure historical because it's based on just like a story is just a retelling mm-hmm. of a, a story or is yeah. it not and can you have a quote-unquote pure historical if it's based on someone else's history that we've now since debunked uh for instance if they if the, the doctor and vicky turn up in ancient rome and they start like you know being chased around by a minotaur right like is that still a pure historical mm-hmm. I think um, the the mythmakers is interesting because it's uh, it's it's something that's so far back that like it's impossible to establish facts for, um, and that's something that perhaps because uh, uh, there are a lot of stories set in kind of ancient history and and kind of like I, I think I said like the, the act of doing history is kind of like piecing together puzzle pieces and you've got maybe like two or three pieces of the whole jigsaw when you go back sort of that far into into the past. Um, so it's a lot harder to kind of establish what's true and what's not. But obviously in that case, it's very much based on the, the literature. It's based on the story. Um, but even ones that are more more modern kind of do that. Like uh, listen to The Church and the Crown recently, and that's just doing mm. a, oh my God, I've forgotten the writer's name. He's literally mentioned in the story. Uh, Dumas? Uh, Dumas. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's doing a Dumas kind of like uh, parody. It's doing like um, that era, the 1620s, as, as seen centuries later in the three in the three musketeers stories um i think i've not i've not heard uh the flames of kadith but uh am i mm. right I thinking it's kind of like a savantes savantes kind of um, um riff it's it's riffing on some of the ideas from um what's his most famous one don quixote um yeah right 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 um where it's it's actually really really cute because it's um it sets up this this idea that you know how like the, the tilting at windmills always going for the prize never being able to get it um yeah uh the doctor is always going to be attempting to stop his companion from changing history and the companions are always going to be attempting to change history and this is just their eternal like like you know um right 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 uh, cat on a slice of peanut butter toast like the eternal engine that'll just generate mm. like mm. story conflict forever and ever um it's very cute i like it um 
but yeah, no, there's like the idea of historical stories that are in the genre of the time, which I think yeah. is interesting. Yeah. yeah, I think you see the the new series does that quite a lot as well. So like you've got like the first Victorian story is the Unquiet Dead, which it's it's just doing like a Dickens riff, right? But it's rather than mm, being, mm. it's like Doctor Who meets Charles Dickens in a story with ghosts, right? At Christmas, you know, it's a kind of like it's it's taking the the kind of, that kind of like literary idea of the past and the and it's again it's kind of getting to that idea of like uh, popular or public history, um, because, yeah, because the unicorn and the yeah, yeah, yeah. Because media and stories influence yeah. our, our understanding of the past so much, um, and it's doing that in a very literal way, like meeting the writers who have established these ideas. Like, yeah, like the well, Unicorn, well, the, Wasp, I think the it's, 20s murder mystery sort of thing. Well, yeah, it's yeah, yeah. not just the 20s murder mystery. It's like the ITV adaptation of the 20s murder mystery, which I think is what's really right, interesting about yeah, Unicorn, yeah, yeah, the Wasp, yeah. Right? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yes. Okay. Well, um, <laughs> so we're not for ages then. No, that was good. That was good. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So you you talked about kind of sort of um like pure historicals a little bit. Um, what would you say is the most should we say historically accurate story? Oh, that's a big uh... one. I, I wish I'd I wish I'd like had that had that prepared for um because god i don't know it's really it's that's oh, I thought a I'd really just bring it on you for fun yeah <laughs> oh dear that's a really what's the really one with the doctor one. what's the one that's where the doctor bungs the guy on the head with a rock uh, <laughs> the, what the first one uh yeah that one on the BC. Child. yeah yeah, yes. yeah. <laughs> yes, that's my answer <laughs> okay. Yeah, I mean that is that's probably the the be- the greatest depiction of the Stone Age we'll ever ever see. Uh, yeah. yeah. Can, you, um, can you challenge it? It's like it's like it's like uh, an earthly child, and then level two, two thousand one, a space odyssey. Like, yeah. Like, and then... <laughs> All right. No, I need I need a sec because like there's definitely a much better answer than that. Um, oh, oh, it's tricky. It's tricky. I, I could I think... very kindly come back to it in the second episode we do on this. Oh, maybe, maybe. Uh, I mean, I will say uh, of stories. No, make I've him heard, Yeah, the stories that I've heard recently. <laughs> um, I really liked uh, Council of Nicaea. Um, I'm I'm a bit of like a. A bit of a fiend for like late antiquity, early medieval stuff, and it's kind mm. of it's delving into a really interesting kind of unknown or relatively unknown. It's kind of like that sort of era is not really seen in in public history at all because it's kind of like it's not it's the Roman Empire, but it's like the the late Christian Roman Empire, not the kind of like you know centurions and all the well there were centurions, but it's it's not the kind of like classic ideal of what Roman society was like. Um, so delving into that and kind of getting into how important uh, Doctor Who ch- tends to sort of like dodge religion where it can, but it's getting into how important all of these kind of minor debates about like the nature of Christ and all of this stuff actually were to people at that time. And like the, it was mm. Arianism and all of this stuff was a huge deal um, and actually impacted so many people's lives. And I thought that was really interesting. And, and, and the, the, yeah. And also uh, placing uh, cats like Eremem into that is, is really interesting. One, because she's from like distant, it's, it's to us the distant past, but it's the far, it's the far future for her. Um, and also just because she's, she's an Egyptian character placed into that world, it really 
a lot of the character other characters' reactions to her emphasize how how diverse the world of late antiquity was and and how the the movement of people really really characterized that kind of era in that like you would get people from all over the world in all sorts of places because uh, because of the nature of the Roman Empire and how how it shifted people around um yeah I thought it was really a really interesting depiction of like society at the time uh, uh, yeah that's a good answer that I like that um so I reckon we should leave this one here for now uh, but we will return with a yeah, okay, part okay. two that's fair that's fair historicals uh I've, I've really enjoyed sort of uh chatting about this and hearing sort of what you've got to say obviously you've you know you've got a real insight into this um oh, so we shall definitely do some more um, yeah for sure fantastic so for now i shall say goodbye to connor goodbye thank you for having me on i'll say goodbye to alex bye-bye now bye and uh, goodbye to Sam. Yes, bye-bye. Uh, yep, yeah, and thanks very much, everybody. Goodbye now.